goblins and ghouls, and welcome to another installment of My Haunted Life Podcast with me, your host, Angela Hartshorn. How are you doing this week? Do you know that it's officially fall according to major news outlets? That's right, pumpkin spice lattes are back. Have you gotten yourself a PSL yet? I will admit, pumpkin spice is not my favorite. I'm all about the actual pumpkin flavor, and I'm very picky about my pumpkin spice in particular. But today, we are talking about something much better than PSL. Today, we're talking about tea. I had the honor of chatting with the always so lovely Sandra Mariah Wright, who co-authored a book with her friend, Leanne Marama. We are talking tea, tea reading, and all about Sandra's spooky experiences in Salem, Massachusetts. So, let's get into it, shall we? Grab yourself a cup of tea or pumpkin spice latte. I won't judge you. Make sure the doors are locked and the sage is close by. I have a story to tell you. I know I usually save the credits for the end of the podcast, but literally all of my information comes from Sandra's and Leanne's book. I wrote an article last year about the history of tea, but literally all of the information from Sandra is conveniently right here in my hands, so might as well use it. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but some select parts. So, a brief spellbinding history of tea. Origins. Tea is surrounded in myth and legend. Chinese lore holds that it was invented almost 5,000 years ago when Emperor Shen Nung discovered it by chance while relaxing peacefully under a tea leaf tree. Leaves from the tree happened to fall into his cup of hot water, and, as the story goes, the scent of the brew convinced him to take a chance and drink it. In doing so, he discovered the wonder beverage that we know and love today. In more concrete terms, anthropologists have determined that the tea leaf trees growing along the lush forested borders of Yunnan province in China, Assam, in India, Myanmar, formerly Burma, Laos, Vietnam, and Thailand are descended from those primordial groves where tea originated. From all evidence, tea drinking began here, then spread throughout Asia, eventually making its way from the Far East to the West. In these scholarly circles, the credit doesn't go to any emperor but rather to prehistoric humans, who anthropologists theorize first sampled tea in their search for food, perhaps taking a cue from animals. Chewing the leaves gave them the energy for foraging and hunting. Once humans mastered fire and figured out how to boil water, 
tea as we know it was born. By the time of the Shang Dynasty, circa 1766 to 1050 BCE, people in Yunnan province were regularly consuming medicinal beverages made with tea leaves and other plant matter. This is the origin of China's great herbal healing traditions, with tea as the foundation. Later, in nearby Sichuan province, under the Zhao dynasty, circa 1122 to 256 BCE, people started drinking tea made from tea leaves alone, without any seeds, barks, or herbs, simply to relax or get a boost rather than as an herbal remedy. The practice of tea leaf reading dates back at least as far as the Ming Dynasty, 1368 to 1644 CE, which saw the introduction of the popular palm-sized cup designed for enjoying tea, the fine porcelain K1. Its three pieces are both aesthetically pleasing and useful. A saucer that allows the teacup to be safely held, an angled cup with a flared lip, and a lid with a knob like a cherry on top of a sundae, effectively blocking loose leaves during drinking, keeping them in the cup and out of the mouth. This ingenious construction, combined with the ease with which shapes formed by the dark leaves, could be seen against the pale interior of the K1 paved the way for the art of tea leaf reading. So I'm gonna jump ahead a little bit. 19th century vibes. So I guess historically jumping ahead a bit. With this much focus on tea, it's no wonder that the practice of reading the leaves found its way to England. Starting in the Victorian era, it became known as the throwing cups, or tossing cups. Historian Alec Gill describes a common scenario of a lady of the manor tossing the cups before breakfast and reading fortunes for her servants. These days, it may be referred to as tessiomancy, tessiography, or more rarely, tessology. I probably butchered all of that pronunciation. If you're interested in the entomology, Tessie comes from the word French word for cup, Mansi comes from the Greek word for divination, or graph for writing, or ology, or the study of a subject. Victorian culture still stirs up thoughts of romance and mysticism, with finely decorated tea houses popping up all over the world, and psychics reading leaves in tea rooms like nomadic Romani once did in the tea parlors of the 1800s. Victorian fashion, decor, and customs have shaped a darkly romantic subculture that is on the rise. This time period was particularly rich in customs surrounding death and grief. Between measles, smallpox, whooping cough, scarlet fever, pneumonia, and tuberculosis, Many children didn't survive past the age of five. Queen Victoria's affection and heartache for her beloved husband, Prince Albert, 
who passed away at 42, didn't just consume her life. It formed the basis for the conduct, styles, and traditions we commonly associate with her reign. And our own morning tea is a tribute to that, this aesthetic. <clears throat> Going to jump ahead a little bit to my favorite part of the history section of tea. Tea in the 20th century. Tea has another association with freedom in the form of the entrepreneurial spirit striking a blow against the patriarchy. In the early 1900s in the United States, any woman entering a restaurant unescorted was considered a Jezebel, and thus the entire industry was dominated by men. So women began setting up their own tea rooms, serving home-cooked meals and offering homemade items for sale, and sometimes providing readings to interested customers. Women were using what they knew and excelled at to support themselves and one another, and the trend continues to this day, as the majority of psychics and their clients are women. Yankee ingenuity is sometimes the result of happy accident. Circa 1908, a New York tea importer named Thomas Sullivan stumbled into fame by inadvertently inventing the tea bag when he sent samples of tea to potential clients in small silk pouches to entice them to purchase his offerings. Instead of putting the loose leaf into pots as usual, they dunked their bags right into the hot water. It was convenient and made cleaning up a breeze. His gambit worked, but not in the way he intended. They indeed placed orders, but when the tea showed up in bulk, the customers complained, asking what happened to the pouches. Sullivan was forced to think fast. Silk was too expensive, so he turned to gods. To this day, most tea in America is consumed in tea bags rather than loose, but it is cut too fine to be top choice for readings. During World War II, British soldiers and their allies consumed copious amounts of tea while fighting to defeat the Third Reich. In 1942, historian A.A. A. Thompson wrote, They talked about Hitler's secret weapon, but what about England's secret weapon? Tea. That's what keeps us going, and that's what's going to carry us through. Tea was so vital to the war effort that Winston Churchill himself dubbed it more valuable than ammunition, and it remains a symbol of England's keep calm and carry on mentality. Currently, tea, not coffee, has claimed the title of world's most popular drink, second only to water. Tea drinking and tea leaf reading are experiencing a particular renaissance in the United States. In Salem, all of our local mom and pop cafes serve multiple varieties of tea and landmark tea rooms offering psychic greetings like Bottom of the Cup in New Orleans and the famed Tremont Tea Room in Boston established in 1929 and 1936 respectively are serving a greater number of clients than ever before. T 
tea is truly perennial. Empowering women, defeating bigots, enjoying a delicious meals, and predicting positive outcomes with friends. What's not to like? Whatever you're facing, a buttload of history proves that tea can help carry you through. Put on the kettle, and let's talk about how. And after a short word from our sponsors, I'll be back to talk with Sandra about tea and her own spooky experiences being a witch in Salem, Massachusetts. And, of course, more tea. Okay, so I am here today with my dear friend, Miss Sandra Mariah Wright. I'm very excited. Uh, Sandra is the high priestess of her coven in Salem, Massachusetts. She's also an author, and we're totally going to go into the, the book a lot. I'm very excited. Uh, she also runs two very success, successful witch shops in Salem, Massachusetts, and that's Hex and Omen, correct? Exactly, yes. yep. Uh, another one I really, I'm a huge fan of is Gallo Hills Witchery, which is, you do crystals and jewelry, and I owned several pieces. I can't yes, help myself. I love that you have your ring on. I noticed it. I had right to. Away. I had like to. She's got her beautiful ring on. I do. Yep. Gallows, Hill, Gallows Hill Witchery is actually named after Gallows Hill here in Salem, which is where I, this is where I grew up, and this is where my family's estate still stands so this is where this is where i'm coming to you from i am coming to you from gallows hill oh that's so cool i have my i have my salem shirt my witch city shirt on i love it yeah i had to be prepared i love it the next time i come visit i'm actually yeah because i didn't know you the first time we went out there and now i'm gonna be bugging you for like restaurants um you also (laughs) like you are one of the busiest women I've ever met, um, but you also run psychic fairs, and you work with, like, 40 different psychics. In the month of October, yeah, I have 40 of them here. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. And that's on top of the psychics that I work with year-round in the shops, because we have psychics at both shops, too. So yeah. it's on top of that, yeah. Um, we won't. We probably won't have as many psychics um, this year, due to, you know, the pandemic, obviously we want, you know, we want everybody to, you know, stay safe. So there's, they're probably going to be, I wouldn't say there would be 40, but I have probably 25. Okay. Yeah. That's still a lot. But I'm still going to have, well, some people can't travel in because they travel in from other areas and they can't, and they, they would have to quarantine if they came here. It's very complicated this year. Oh, yeah. You know, it's been very complicated. But one of the good things to come out of it is our psychics started doing video readings through the stores. And that's been fantastic. They've been able to connect with, you know, with clients that 
they normally that normally would travel in. Oh, that's awesome. Them. And they've actually been able to connect with them and do video readings for them. So it's been really cool at the shops. Yeah. That that makes me happy cuz they you would think, you know, psychic reading is mostly in person. I know personally when I do readings, I prefer to be in person. Yeah, our our people are That's great. Awesome. Um, they've been doing phone readings for years. I okay. mean, years. So they're used to doing phone readings. They're used to tuning into clients' voices. They get a lot off the voices, you know. And I I've done uh, a reading over the phone as well, and you really do pick up quite a bit when you don't have any visuals other than you know you're you're connecting through that voice. You're hearing things that if the person was right in front of you, you probably would not be hearing. And it just tunes you in in another way. It's a really interesting form of energy work, you know. Huh. It's like being... Just tuning into the sound. Yeah, it's like being blind and suddenly your other senses get stronger kind of thing. Exactly. I love that. I mean, that makes sense. I don't see why not. Um, Yeah. And, And also, it's funny because some people were like, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to speak with the spirits of that person. And then they were like, no, you know what? I actually am. I'm even able to pick it up through that, you know? So they were um, kind of, they surprised themselves in some cases. That's when cool. When they were starting to do phone and video readings, they were like, yeah, actually I am. I am able to pick it up. So uh, we're coming into the new technology. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, who would have thought, you know? But we're, we're, we're here in the new technology. Well, you think about it, this computer has a ton of crystals in it it's got a bunch of crystals in there that know? is true so you know this is a this is a magical thing i'm talking to you on you know it's just it's the way we perceive it that needs to shift it's oh. our perception that needs to shift i love it i i mean did not think of it that way and it's true and it's i always love listening to you talk about crystals I feel like that's how we became friends at HexFest because you, so we met at HexFest a couple years ago now. And the only person I knew going into HexFest was Christian. And I just remember you were like two booths down from me and just me and my, I was sicker than a dog and my husband does not know my product that well. And just you and your husband basically took me under your wing and took care of us all weekend and told us where to go and what to do. Mm -hmm. Well, we love New Orleans. New Orleans is our second home in many, many ways. And we just absolutely adore New Orleans. We love every minute we get to spend there. And um, we love to share it with people. So there, there have been a bunch of people in my world that I've kind of dragged down there um, and have, you know, brought down there either for HexFest or other vacations at other times. And so I absolutely love being able to, you know, and, and it's like that when I'm in Salem too. So many times over the course of my life, someone, a friend from online or somewhere um, would say, hey, I'm going to come visit Salem. Will you like show me around Aww. and take me to the places? You know, so there have just been so many times that I've been the, you know, that's sort of the tour guide, you know, or at least giving recommendations. I've had people ask me for recommendations about Salem, and I've had a lot of people write to me even and ask me questions about New Orleans because of how much time I spend there. Um, a lot of people have asked questions about New Orleans, too. Both very magical cities. Oh, yeah. A really strong undercurrent of the spirits of the past. 
they have an incredible spirit of place in yes. both locations. And you can really get in touch with like spirits from, you know, hundreds and hundreds yes. of years ago that you can connect with um, amazing stuff. Like there was a time that we were asked to be on a television show. And of course, we did not know the name of the show. The show had not launched yet. Uh-oh. Showtime had reached out to us and asked us if we would be on a new show that they were going to be debuting about people's strange and wonderful beliefs. And we were like, okay. And they were like, we want to run this show about the Ouija board. Uh-oh. And we were like, okay, cool. Yeah, we're in, you know? And so they said, yeah, um, could you think of a place that that we could go and work, you know, and have you, you know, operate the Ouija board. And so we had, we knew that there was a ton of spirit activity at what used to be called the Lyceum, now Turner's. Yes, we didn't get to go to Turner's. And we knew that that restaurant had been owned by Bridget Mm -hmm. Bishop, that that was her tavern originally. And so we were like, yeah, let's talk to Bridget Bishop on the Ouija board. Oh, my God. So we were like, yeah, let's go talk to Bridget Bishop on the Ouija board. This is perfect. This is a perfect opportunity. So um, uh, Christian and Sean and myself went to, you know, went to the Lyceum and said, hey, could we come up into the upstairs where we used to hold a bunch of events and actually, um, you know, Leah Marama and I actually just held an event there March 1st of this year. Leave it. Um, we held a tea there. So anyway, Ooh. we still have great connections with, with Turner's. And so we had gone and said, you know, would you allow us to come in and film this and, and contact Bridget? You know, oh. and they were like, sure, sure. So we get, we're getting set up. The cameramen men are there and they're trying to get the shot. And, you know, you always do those shots before you start filming where they're just getting the lighting. They're just checking yeah. sound. They're, you know, the usual, right? Let's check. And yeah. so this guy has me in the chair, and he's sitting me, you know, down, and he's fra- trying to frame up the shot, and he's asking me, like, for my name and repeat my name and repeat my spelling and tell me, you know, say my title or what have you. And so I'm trying to do that, and he's just, like, I'm watching him, like, change things, and his, his brow is knit, you know, and he's got this look on his face, and he's changing, now he's changing a chord, and he's, you know, now he's, he's look, digging in his bag for a different thing, and I'm going, is everything all right back there? Like, what what's going on, you know? Oh, no. And he's like, he's like, I can't get you in full color on this monitor. Oh. He's like, you're like, you're basically like you're in sepia tone. So no matter what uh, he did yeah. with the camera, when he looked through, I looked like one of those old timey photos from way, way, way back in the day. Wow! That had that color, like that sepia yeah, color, the brownish. No matter what he did, he switched these flipping switches and doing and changing his chords and all this other stuff. And and he's like, and he's calling the other guy over. And he's like, what is this? Look at this. What is this? Look at this, you know? And so I'm sitting there and I was like, you know, that's Bridget doing that, right? And there, you know, (laughs) and almost immediately after I spoke her name, fixed. So 
suddenly everything fine. Ah! Right in front of their eyes, and they're like, you know, that's, so crazy. That's amazing. So crazy. I've heard Bridget is before, very sassy. Before we even touched the Ouija board, we hadn't even touched the board yet. And I was like, she is making her presence known. Yup. Yeah. No. You know, I was like, yeah, shit just got real. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard she's very awesome. sassy, very sassy ghost. And she, she you will know, do that. For a female to have owned a tavern. Yes. Back in the day. That's all I'm going to say about that. Right. right? And she owned. Did, say about that. Didn't she own her own orchard and everything with yeah, the apples? Yeah. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And oh. and you know, the word on the street mm. is that she may have been the only person that actually had some knowledge other than you know Tichaba. She may have been the only person that was like from here and living here that actually had some magical knowledge. Really, you know. Well, there was there was talk that you know they had found a pocket. Yeah, I remember this. So you know, was it a plant that somebody planted there, uh, or was it her poppet? You know. Yeah. So it's like they found a poppet. So you have to ask, like, hmm, is that really her poppet? You know. Because I heard that so. she was making them for kids in the 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 community for Christmas or something. Right, because they just could have been dolls. Yeah. And it could have just been a simple doll, you know what I mean? Completely but innocent. I, in my head canon, I like to think she had it going on. I like to think she knew a little magic and she she had some magic in her, you know? I but feel, that's just me. I feel like at that time, it would make sense to have a little bit of folk magic Sure. Um, no, and she, that was always something with her. Because it just makes sense to have a knowledge of folk magic. And at that time, you know, it's just kind sure. of, not, I don't want to say science technically, but that's how you were taught to heal and do things. Yeah. Um, like, my favorite, this is going to, I bet you hear this all the freaking time. But, um, um. And I know this is a thing, and I know it means technically really nothing at this point. But uh, I'm related very distantly to Rebecca Nurse. Oh, nice. Very distantly. Um, well, yeah. You'd have to be, because that was 400 years. Exactly. <laughs> we're, you know, we're coming up on, you know. It's insane. And it's funny, because my mom found this. It's on my dad's side. And then actually a woman here discovered it as well. And she had no idea who this person was. And I'm like really but it's always I always like she's her and Bridget are my favorites because Bridget is this this um vivacious strong woman and like uh, I remember in some of the court uh documents it talks about one of the things that men testified against her for proof of being a witch was they dreamt sexual thoughts about her kind of thing. And it's like, oh, yeah. this is your mm-hmm. literal, what kind of thing? And then the exact opposite is Rebecca Nurse. Yeah. I identify with her so much is just, she was this cranky old hermit that didn't want to deal with people's shit. And she didn't put up with people's shit. Right. And 
that's why she probably got accused first, unfortunately. I think maybe, like, women like you and I are, like, the love child between those two. Yes, I will take that, and I, I want that on a t-shirt, please. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I love it. Right? Because so, we have equal doses of, you know, the woman that you think might bewitch you and, you know, sort of steal your steal your mind and your heart for a while. Until she gets bored with you, perhaps. And yes. then also equal parts um, will not put up with any shit. Does not suffer fools. Yeah, I, so. I, I'm definitely relating more and more to Rebecca. <laughs> As my life goes, it's not even funny. Um, so one of the, re- the, one of the big things, I say this to last on purpose, but you are literally a published, legitimate author. Like, your book just came out. I left mine upstairs, but you have yours. I have a copy of the paperback. Um, We also have the hardcover, and I don't don't know that I have the hardcover right next to me. The hardcover is probably in the other room. Um, But the hardcover is available in England. But if you go on, um, like, Waterstones or Blackwell's website, they will ship to the United States, um, and last I heard, the shipping was free. Oh. And the hardcover was not more expensive than the paperback. So I know people that bought both. Oh, nice. Yeah. I love that. So they wanted both. They wanted the paperback, and they wanted the the hardcover. And what's cool is, like, when you open it up, um, the recipes that we have in here, they translated them to the British measurements and everything in the the hard copy, so it's cool. And when you look at, like, like they put the U in favorite, (laughs) you know, like, they changed, you know, they, like, edited it for for British English, which I think is so sweet and awesome. Okay, now I kind of want both, because I have the paper copy, because I was trying to decide between the two, and... I think right when I went to go buy the hard copy, you posted, I have like six author copies left. Who wants one? And I went, me. Oh, you know. So I got the signed one. But I do, I, you know what? I do have, I have at least one hard cover here that I could get for you. So keep in mind. (laughs) let's talk after let's talk yeah 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 Um, yeah. oh my god yes the thing about the hardcover is that they took one of lisa ainsworth's illustrations from the inside and made it the cover which is awesome and they gold leafed the um the symbols in the bottom of the cup which is so beautiful like i was just i was blown away that's classy Um, but yeah they took they took um lisa ainsworth um they call her the ink witch she is a tattoo artist here in Beverly, which is right over the bridge from Salem. So Beverly and Salem border each other. Okay. And um, so they're right on the water, and you can go right over the bridge to Beverly. And that's where um, Lisa works at a shop called Good Mojo Tattoos. And that Cute. is owned by our dear friend, uh, Melissa Mayhem. Love it. Um, runs that shop. And, yeah, so we asked Lisa if she would do illustrations for the inside, and um, they actually popped one of them onto the cover, which I was so excited. That's so, so cool. yeah, because she just did such a beautiful job. And even the exercises. Yes! In the book, did a nice job so that, you know, you can actually learn how to actually do this um, from the book. Um, and then our, our friend Jennifer Iserlo, who wrote um, the book Superfood Alchemy, 
which oh, kind of like fun. blends um, our food with our magic and how we can like use the moon to do things magically for ourselves. Um, she was our test kitchen for all of the recipes in this book. Oh. So she did test kitchen before we published this. And she just like went through everything and like, you know, dotted the I's and crossed the T's on all the recipes and everything. So um, this book really was a, a labor of love. And I will say that um, when I think back to our entire team, our whole team at Penguin Random House, our agent, um, our illustrator, um, you know, basically everybody, the test kitchen, everybody, all badass women, <laughs> every oh. single one. I love Everybody, that. All women, all badass women. Yes. I, I, I couldn't be prouder. I got to tell you something about yes. tea leaf reading. Yes. That you that you probably read because I know you read the book. I did. I, I finished it this weekend. If other people know this, <laughs> but one of the ways that women broke out into being able to make their own money and get financial independence from men was because they weren't allowed to own restaurants and things like that. They weren't supposed to do that stuff. They started running these little tea shops where they would make like a little light lunch type of thing, like a light meal. And they started reading people's tea leaves in those shops, not just serving regular tea, but actually reading the leaves. And that's how they started being able to actually make their own money because a woman couldn't even walk into a restaurant unescorted or she'd be branded a jet. Yeah. Not even walk into a restaurant by herself or with, you know, with friends or what have you that were female and not be considered, you know, a loose woman and have her reputation damaged. Which is insane now. That's how much (laughs) control the patriarchy had. Right. So I love the fact that, you know, tea leaf reading not only was something that would help people, you know, make better choices, hopefully, you know, give them an eye on what's coming in the future and have them really think about how they're going to reach their goals. But it also gave women some more independence. So I just love it. I love that. As a method of divination, it's, I don't mean to cut you off, but as a method of divination, it is so, um, you know, it's safe, right? Mm -hmm. Like when somebody sees my Ouija board, they're just like, oh, oh, a Ouija board. Yes. Nobody <laughs> really gets that way, guys, over a cup of tea. No. Everybody is kind of like, hey, a cup of tea. My grandmother used to say, it's good for what ails ya. You know, mm. so it's so, like, safe feeling. It's a great way for people to start learning how to work with their intuition and listen to their gut, you know? I am so excited because I've always wanted to do tea leaf reading so when I found out you were doing the book, um, I was so excited because I knew just talking to you about little things with tea, you're such a fountain of knowledge. And I'm so glad you told that story about, you know, women starting with that because that was, you know, I'm a big history person. Suffragettes are kind of my jam. I had never heard that story. So that's one of those weird loss to history things that I, I I made a mental note to ask you about it. So it like gave oh, me cool. goosebumps that you actually said that. I was like, yes, I love this story. But I mean, this whole book is definitely a labor of love and you can tell reading it. 
I think one of my absolute favorite parts is how you and Leanne talk about each other. It is, like, it's just so damn heartwarming. It's like, you guys, and I still have not met Leanne, sadly, but... I haven't. Oh, that has to change. Yes. That has to change. Yes, please. Yes, please. That has but, to change. Yeah, just listening, or I guess not listening, reading, um, how you guys make little comments. And like, it, it's so much love just in the paper. It's amazing to me. We are about women lifting each other up, not tearing each other down. We are about empowerment. There are, there's so many... There's so much room in the sky for everyone to be a shining star. No one has to be, you know, greater than or lesser than or anything like that. It's like there's room enough for everyone to shine. So, that you know, that's our philosophy. And when they talk about, like, you know, help each other straighten each other's crowns mm-hmm. and remember that you are a queen. It's like, yes, like, remember that you have so much untapped power you are naturally here to create and manifest and there's so many things inside of you that you should be bringing forth to the world you know oh. and this book is one thing that we had inside of us that we wanted to share with the world because we really wanted people who couldn't come to Salem and go to one of our events where we teach this because um, we, we teach people how to do this in usually in groups. And the last one we just did was March 1st, which is like, I look back on that and I'm like, wow, that was a miracle that we actually did that. And right? everybody was sick and everybody was fine and mm-hmm. nobody got sick and everything was fine. Um, but it was like, I can't believe we did that on March 1st of right? 2020. That's kind of amazing. But it was before anybody you know shut anything down or anything you know it was like we that that hadn't happened yet you know and um and we used to you know and and we will again but and and actually we have an author's event um at the end of august at the hawthorne hotel we're limited to 25 guests because that's that's the most that you can have yeah something that's indoors but we are going to do you know like a little like a book signing in the afternoon and then, um, and also a party, you know, celebrating the book, which this should have happened months ago, but we had to put it off yeah. you know, because of the pandemic. So, um, we are going to sort of, you know, um, lead everybody through the tea leaf reading and the Hawthorne is going to make a bunch of the recipes from the book oh. because they did, they did, um, give us some of these recipes because yes. we went to them, we went to them when we were getting ready to publish the book and we were like, Hey, this is a big thing. This is a big part of it for us is these fantastic recipes is a big part of it. Um, It's a part of the gathering in, and there's magic in all of the little ingredients and everything that's used, and so we wanted to explore that. And they were kind enough to give us some of the recipes that we loved from our events. And then we also put some family recipes in there, and I'm telling you, my mother's whoopie pie recipe (laughs) is worth the price of this book. If you are not into tea leaf reading, but you are into good food, just get this book because just that recipe. I've had people asking me for that recipe since I was a teenager. Wow. I have friends that were like, I can't wait for this book to come out because I'm going to finally get that 
you know Zachary Crane. I don't but believe he so. actually he's the first person I've seen that took a picture of making my mother's whoopie pies oh. and, and and put it on Instagram. My mom's whoopie pies has a hashtag. Joanne's whoopie pies. Yes. Has a hashtag. I'm like. My mother doesn't even know what a hashtag is, oh. but I'm going to tell her that she now has a hashtag because I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh my God, that's precious. Oh my God, I love that. Yeah, because going through the recipes in the back, I've already, like, I want to do, when it's a little bit safer, even do my own little tea party at the house. Yeah. Because... Yeah, no, the food in that. I mean, again, obviously I'm a giant history nerd, so anything to do with, like, the Hawthorne Hotel, oh, my God. The fact that there those recipes, I was like, yeah, I was geeking out completely over everything. And the other really cool thing is that when we started doing these events at the Hawthorne and, and elsewhere, back in 2007, when we started doing this, we thought that we were... Like, we thought we were um, recreating something that the Victorians had done. Yeah. When we were doing this, you know, we were doing, like, a three-course high tea and all this other stuff. We thought that speaking to spirits, as we do, you know, in the especially in the morning tea. Yeah. The morning tea, morning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. That's held every October. Um. That is specifically, you know, for trying to connect with the dead and mm-hmm. trying to, you know, speak with spirits through the tea successfully. Um, and so we thought that was part of the Victorian practice, especially since I saw this beautiful spirit kettle that they had. And I, I bought it, you know, and that's what it's called. It's called a spirit kettle. Huh. And I bought this kettle and I thought, this is so great. You know, we're going to brew the tea in this spirit kettle. And, you know, and so here we are using this as a, as a method of mediumship. So we go to write the book years, years, years later, 13 years later or whatever it is. We go to write this book. And I'm starting, you know, I'm digging in and I'm, I'm asking Leanne, you know, check, check it out. See where we can find yeah. the source material for the, for the mediumship. Can't come up with a single record of it. So come to find out, we basically invented it. That's so cool. I was going to ask you about that. You know, we got a whole chapter in here about using the tea leaf reading method to speak with spirit. Yeah. You know, to speak with the dead, to speak with our beloved dead, specifically those who loved us and are on the other side. And here we were thinking this was like a Victorian practice that we were resurrecting. It wasn't all of the reference materials all talk about tea leaf reading as fortune telling. Oh, wow. It's talking about it as looking to the future to get messages about what's coming. Who are you going to marry? What about that job? When are you going to, you know, whatever, whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you, do you have friends? You know, are your friends being true to you or are they stabbing you in the back? Like, 
you know, there's all these Present. things, yeah. you know, and all of the, you know, all the um, symbolism and everything, it, it's all geared towards messages about what's coming, like what's on the horizon. And it was so incredible. I mean, it really took my breath away because I've wanted to be an author pretty much my whole life. I've been a writer. I call myself a writer. I never called myself an author Aww. until I had a book published. Fair enough. But yeah. I wanted to do that, but I always kind of felt like I want to do something nobody else has, has done. And that's hard. Yeah. That's really hard, you know? So finally, almost by accident, I stumble into, you know, Leanne and I stumble into this is, yeah, we, we are writing something, you know, that we have not been able to find. And if, if somebody finds it, you know, please let me know. We haven't been able to find That's anything so written cool. about this being used as a method of communication with the dead. Wow. Communication with spirit. So, yeah, it's amazing. Huh. <laughs> it was I feel like we were given this by the other side. I feel like spirit said. Oh, I just got goosebumps. You need to, you need to, this is a method people can use. People will be, people won't be so afraid to do this. You know, this is a, we need more people understanding that they can speak to the other side. Yes. So this is a safe, easy way for people to understand that they can do this. I, I just feel like that's, that's what, that's why it happened the way it did. Oh, you know, I love that. that. We, were, we were just given this, basically. I love that. Because I, I started making a spirit tea to help with spirit communication. And then when I started uh, reading the book, I was like, I wonder if there's a way to incorporate things together. And then there's a whole freaking chapter on it. And I was like, yes. Yes. I was so excited when I when it came up. I was like, Oh my god, this is so happy. Yeah, I'm gonna Yeah. I'm gonna be practicing and playing with that later. I love it. <laughs> Completely. I love it. So And that's the thing, you know, what I love about tea leaf reading is that it is so it's it it's it's a partnership or group activity as much as it's a solo activity. You can totally read your own tea leaves by yourself. And I find that interesting because a lot of people won't read their own tarot cards, but they will read their own tea leaves. So that's interesting in and of itself. See, I, I'm one of so those. I hate like, oh, reading I don't tarot. read for myself. Mm -hmm. I, only, I only read for others. I don't read for myself. A lot of people would say that, but they will read their own tea leaves. So that's interesting. And then hmm. the second thing is a lot of people, um, tarot and other methods are very one-on-one. -on -one. But what I love about tea leaf reading is when we get a group of people together to do this, and we talk about this in the book, pretty soon everybody's kind of like passing their cups to each other going, yeah. look what I, look at what, I, look at, do you see this? Do you see this? And then someone else is going, I see this. And it's like, oh my God, yeah, that's right. I see it now too. And it's like when you were a kid and you were laying in the grass yeah. and looking up at the clouds with your friend and you'd be like kind of head to head looking up and you'd be like, look, I see a turtle. And your friend's like, Where's the turtle? I see a dragon. Oh my god, I see the dragon too now. Yes. And it, it just shifts your it's like shifting your perspective, which we talked about a little bit before. The it's just a shift in perspective and suddenly something the mystery is revealed, you know? Yeah. So it's um it's it's really powerful and it's, it's nice to do uh, families. We've had we've had um like bachelorette parties come to our events. We've oh, that had, sounds like fun. Uh, 
like a grandmother, a mother, and a, and a child, all three at the table together. Um, and, and, you know, we get men at our events, too. I was going to say, not I love the stories about the husbands. Not as many as women, but, yes, <laughs> we, call, we call them the husbands, usually, yes. because typically they are, you know, a lot of men are there because their wives are, are taking them there, you yes. know. And, uh, and, but they, they are stunned as well at the messages that they receive when they open themselves. I mean, we all have psychic ability. We all have this available to us, but for most people, it's a muscle that never gets flexed. So not practiced and it's just kind of, you know, in the background. Other people, it's really strong and they just are in denial about it (laughs) and it manifests itself in a number of different ways. like untapped psychic ability that's untrained and ignored can manifest itself as anxiety and it can manifest itself as depression. And so, you know, and I'm not saying it's the root of all of that, but I am saying that I have seen people um, come out of, you know, those states, if those states are temporary, um, you know, they've been able to come out of those states by acknowledging that what what's happening is they're actually receiving psychic information and their brain just doesn't know how to process that. And they're just, they're like shutting it down, you know, cause they're ignoring or shutting it down mm-hmm. instead of acknowledging and starting to work with that. And so I've seen a lot of people who I'm like, your anxiety is partially rooted in the fact that you are receiving like you're an empath and you're sensitive and you're receiving, you're kind of bombarded with other people's stuff. And you need to learn how to like, how to put up some boundaries for yourself and you need to learn how to ground and center yourself. And when you learn those things, life is going to get better for you. Yeah. You know, no, and you make friends, you make friends with that psychic ability and then you can use it to better your life. Oh yeah. You know, that's the part I'm slowly working on myself because, like, growing up, it was that bombardment and, you know, my mom and my dad were did, either didn't understand or were scared of the whole thing. Yeah. So, it was like, you don't There's talk about it. A lot. A lot yeah. of people have that story, definitely. It, yeah. A I lot. think it's getting better. I would like to think it's getting better. Yeah. I've had, actually, a lot of uh, friends with kids reach out. And be like, yep. what do I do with this? And I'm like, you don't know I have a problem with this. I love it. We have a whole thing in the book about psychic kids. That made me so happy. Talk about how to safely help psychic yes. kids. Yeah. That I was just so, like, where was this book when I was 13? Like, seriously. <laughs> like, yeah, there's so many. There's. I feel like you've literally covered just about everything. In the book, when it comes, like, you have literally the full, basically the full outline for your events. And, I mean, I guess you don't have, like, every hour kind of thing, but you you talk about, you know, the scrapbooking portion. And, like, it it's, I had no idea how much you did on the, because, I mean, I've gotten to know you over the years, and you've told me about the events, but I had... No idea. And just reading the book makes me want to come out even more so to come and do it. And I have a really great group of witches I'm working with right now. And 
Probably not this next year, but the year probably after. I'm going to see if we can't take a trip out. Um, And the the great thing is we put all that in the book mm -hmm. so that people could do it, you know, out in Utah and out in, you know, wherever, Wyoming or wherever they are. You know what I mean? Like, so that anybody anywhere would be able to put something meaningful like that together with family and friends and enjoy, you know, starting to work together on opening up to their intuition and, you know, and just be being able to share the moments. I mean, that honestly, just, I mean, never before, I mean, we, we always valued that part of it mm-hmm. and never before <laughs> we could not, not have even imagined how, precious the memories that we have of everyone sitting together in these rooms doing this how unbelievably precious they are now they were always precious yeah but now we really really understand how incredibly rare and precious those those moments were you know we we are looking forward to a time when we can safely do that with everybody again because oh my gosh it's just wonderful you know it's the the atmosphere and the energy in the room is what welcomes in the spirits that's how we that's how we have such success with it Mm -hmm. and we talk about how important the atmosphere and the preparation is you know when you're dealing with the spirits you definitely want to have you know, an atmosphere that has an ambiance that would welcome the spirits, you know, and, and we talk about that. And it's, it's a vital part of our practice. Even in, in circle, you know, you're welcoming in when you're welcoming in any spirits, you want to prepare and make that a welcoming space. Yes. And so that's part of our craft that we're bringing into, into that practice. So no, and I, I, I absolutely adore the book. I highly recommend everybody to go get it. It's totally worth it. A brief spellbinding history of tea. Origins. Tea is surrounded in myth and legend. Chinese lore holds that it was invented almost 5,000 years ago when Emperor Shen Nung discovered it by chance while relaxing while relaxing peacefully under a tea leaf tree. Leaves from the tree happened to fall into his cup of hot water, and, as the story goes, the scent of the brew convinced him to take a chance and drink it. In doing so, he discovered the wonder beverage that we know and enjoy today. In more concrete terms, anthropologists have determined that the tea trees growing along the lush, forested borders of Yunnan province in China, Assam in India, Myanmar, formerly Burma, Laos, Vietnam, and Thailand are described are descended from those primordial groves where tea originated. From all evidence, tea drinking began here then spread throughout Asia, eventually making its way to the Far East, eventually making its way from the Far East to the West. 
In these scholarly circles, the credit doesn't go to any emperor, but rather to prehistoric humans, who anthropologists theorize first sampled tea in their search for food, perhaps taking their cue from animals. Chewing the leaves gave them the energy for foraging and hunting. Once humans mastered fire and figured out how to boil water, tea as we know it was born. By the time of the Shang Dynasty, 1766 to 1050 BCE, people in Yunnan province were regularly consuming medicinal beverages made with tea leaves and other plant matter. This is the origin of China's great herbal healing healing. China's great herbal healing traditions with tea as the foundation. Later in the nearby Sichuan province under the Zhao dynasty 11 1122-256-BCE-1122-256-BCE-People-Started-Drinking-Tea-Made-From-Tea-Leaves-Alone-Without-Any-Other-Seeds-Bark-Or-Herbs-Simply-To-Relax-Or-Get-A-Boost-Or
That one's hard to say. If you're interested in the entomology, Tassie, if you're interested in the entomology, Tassie comes from the French word for cup, Mansi comes from the Greek word for divination, or graph for writing, or ology for the study of a subject. Victorian culture still stirs up thoughts of romance and mysticism, with finely decorated tea houses popping up all over the world, and psychics reading leaves in tea rooms like the nomadic Romani once did in the tea parlors of the 1800s. Victorian fashion, decor, and customs have shaped a... Lily, get out. Victorian fashion, decor, and customs have shaped a darkly romantic subculture. Victorian fashion, decor, and customs have shaped a darkly romantic subculture that is on the rise. This time period was particularly rich in customs surrounding death and grief. Between measles, smallpox, whooping cough, scarlet fever, pneumonia, and tuberculosis, many children didn't survive past the age of five. Queen Victoria's affection and heartache for her beloved husband, Prince Albert, who passed away at 42, didn't just consume her life, it formed the basis for the conduct, style, and traditions we commonly we commonly associate with her reign, and our own morning tea is the modern tribute to this aesthetic. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit again because I wanted to give you my favorite part. Tea in the 20th century. Tea has another association with freedom in the form of the entrepreneurial spirit. Tea has another association with freedom in the form of the entrepreneurial. Tea has another association with freedom in the form of the entrepreneurial spirit striking a blow against the patriarchy. In the early 1900s in the United States, many women In the early 1900s in the United States, any woman entering a restaurant unescorted was considered a Jezebel, and thus the entire industry was dominated by men. So women began setting up their own tea rooms serving home-cooked meals and offering handmade items for sale, and sometimes providing readings to interested com customers. To interested customers. 
Women were using what they knew and excelled at to support themselves and one another. And the trend continues to this day as a major... And the trend continues to this day as the majority of psychics and their clients are women. Yankee ingenuity is sometimes the result of a happy accident. Yankee ingenuity is sometimes the result of a happy accident. Circa 1908, a New York tea importer named Thomas Sullivan stumbled into fame by inadvertently inventing the tea bag when he sent samples of tea to potential clients in small silk pouches to entice them to purchase his offerings. Instead of putting the loose leaf tea into the pots as usual, they dunked the bags right into the hot water. It was convenient and made cleaning up a breeze. His gambit worked, but not in the way he intended. They indeed placed orders, but when the tea showed up in bulk, the customers complained, asking what happened to the pouches. Sullivan was forced to think fast. Silk was too expensive, so he turned to God's. To this day, most tea in America is consumed in tea bags rather than loose, but it is cut too finely to be top choice for readings. During World War II, British soldiers and their allies consumed copious amounts of tea while fighting to defeat the Third Reich. In 1942, historian A.A. Thompson wrote, They talk about Hitler's secret weapon, but what about England's secret weapon? Tea. That's what keeps us going, and that's what keeps... That's what keeps us going, and that's what's going to carry us through. Tea was so vital to the war effort that Winston Churchill. Tea was so vital to the war effort that Winston Churchill himself dubbed it more valuable than ammunition, and it remains a symbol of England's keep calm and carry on mentality. Currently, tea, not coffee, has claimed the title of world's most popular drink, second only to water. Tea drinking and tea leaf reading are experiencing a particular renaissance in the United States. In Salem, all of our local mom and pop cafes In Salem, all of our mom-and-pop cafes serve multiple varieties of tea and landmark tea rooms offering psychic readings like Bottom of the Cup in New Orleans and the famed Tremont Treat and the famed Tremont Tea Room in Boston established in 1929 and 1936 six, respectively, are serving a greater number of clients than ever before. 
P is truly perennial. Parry women defeating bigots, enjoying delicious meals, and predicting positive outcomes with friends. What's not to like? Whatever you're facing, a boatload of history proves that tea can help carry you through. Put on the kettle and let's talk about how. After this short break, I will have my dear friend Sandra on to talk more about tea, how she got into tea, which is a delightful story, and some of her ghostly experience in Massachusetts. I'm going to pull up the Facebook questions. Oh, yes. Um, people did have some questions. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, I, looking over them real quick, I'm just going to read them. Uh, I feel like we've already kind of talked about some, but that's okay. Sure. Um, so, first question. Does your practice with tea leaf reading and crystals influence your ability to perceive the paranormal in any way? Well, Yes. Um, in a big way, because um, the way that I use tea is to actually speak with the dead. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so to speak with spirit and to contact uh, what some people would consider to be ghosts. Um, so, yes, I will say definitely. Um, in terms of crystals, absolutely. And I actually want to show you um, one of the one of the heroes um, of that is Labradorite. Ooh. So Labradorite is a stone that works kind of almost like an amplifier into the spirit world. Okay. So it's also known, um, you know, in the witchcraft world, it's also known as spectralite oh. because of the word specters. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So. Yeah. Yes, it's definitely one of the best stones for spirit contact. Okay. Well, here's what happened. Labradorite was originally discovered in Labrador, which is where it got its name. Makes sense. Then they discovered it in, like, Finland and went, oh, shit. <laughs> we need another name for this. <laughs> so once they discovered that it was, like, found elsewhere, not just Labrador, um, they started looking for another name. That was, you know, that was a good choice of a name because obviously. Uh, somebody asked if we're going to do a whole basic basics of tea leaf reading. I definitely think people should go look for the book for sure for that. Well, yeah, but I think, it, you know, there is a super, super, like, really basic, easy method in here. Okay. Um, that's, that's so, you know, it's, it's the one that we start with. We teach everybody at the events because we know that they are, mo most of them are not tea leaf readers, mm -hmm. you know, some of them have never done tea leaf reading before. There's a number of different ways that you can split the cup up, um, for timing and stuff like that. And we use the simplest method when we're teaching it. So when you're holding your cup, um, you would 
In order to read it, you would want the handle down the bottom, closest to you. Okay. But when you go to read it, obviously that's not usually the way you would go to drink it. No. But when you're picking it up to read it, you keep the handle on the bottom, right? Okay. So things that are closest to the lip and of the cup, there, thereby being like up near the top, are the things that are going to happen the soonest. Okay. And as you move down the wall... They're later and later, and then down the bottom is, like, the furthest into the future. And usually we tell people that the cup is about a year. Oh, so okay. It's, one, it's like one, you know, one complete um, year. So, and then the stuff that winds up on the saucer can be, like, distant, distant future. And that's how we basically tell everybody to envision the cup when we're getting ready to do a reading. But just like with tarot, when you lay the cards down a certain way, you can tell it, like, this is for the distant past, this is for the present, this is for the near future, this is for the far future. So you can tell the cup, you can split the cup into um, three months. Oh, yeah. thirds, Mm -hmm. okay? So starting at the handle and coming clockwise, that first third would be like that first, that very next month. The next third would be, you know, in that second month. And then the last one coming back around to the handle again would be the third month. Or you could split the cup up into a year and have little, you know, slivers of time, you know, like 12 little sections through the cup and be like, but you'd have to tell the cup that before you yes. started the reading. I think that's Just the important part. the way that you're like, this position means this, this position means that, this position means this, now let's draw the cards. Mm-hmm. Same thing. You would basically tell the cop, like, I want to see the next three months. I want to see the next year or what have you. Um, But, you know, most people as beginners, it's very simple, like stuff up near you, stuff up near the lip of the cup is happening soonest, especially stuff that's near the handle when you're holding the handle at the bottom. Because that's the closest to you, like closest to your body. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that makes what sense. you do is you would you would really we only fill the cup halfway with tea when we do a tea leaf reading, and we don't put any sweetener, milk, nothing. Honey, no honey. You need to have the tea leaves neat in the cup. So you want about a half of a teaspoon. Do not overload. Mm-hmm. There's no purpose to that. That you just end up with a big old lump in the bottom. So don't do that. About a half a teaspoon. Drop it in the cup. Then pour the boiling water in only about halfway because you have to drink this. And that's not how most people like their tea. Yeah. And also you want to wait about three minutes. And we like to put the saucer on top to let the steam kind of get. So you're like letting everything percolate in there and leaving it alone for like three minutes. And then that's a time you can sit quiet and think about your questions. You can think about the parts of your life that you're looking for answers Or if you're using that cup for mediumship, that's when you're thinking about that person and you're recalling memories and you're basically like broadcasting these memories and things that will connect you to that person's energy. So when you're ready to go, obviously slide that off, you know, and start drinking. Now make sure that the leaves are sunk down to the bottom. You can use your spoon to kind of guide the leaves away from your mouth. Nobody wants a mouth full of leaves. No. It's not fun. So you want to kind of guide that stuff down into the bottom of the cup as much as possible. Now, you just want to leave a couple of tablespoons in the bottom Mm -hmm. of water, you know. 
Oh. You want to drink it down until you have very little water left in the bottom. All I know? have is water. I'm cheating, but... Very little <laughs> left in the bottom. So once you drink that down and you're ready to go, we would take the cup and swing it sort of three times. One, two, three. And I, I do usually clockwise, you know, one, two, three. And then take your, take your saucer and place it back on the top again. Flip your cup. Yep. Now set it on the table. And I usually, I like to knock. So I'll knock three times on the top before I pick the cup up. Okay. Just kind of my way of saying, hello, spirit. Hello. And pick the cup up from that handle with the handle at the bottom. And start to read from there. Now, if you don't get anything from holding it like that, or if you're getting only one or two things and you're like, I don't know, I'm not seeing, now you can start to spin the cup to try to get the message. Uh But you want to start first with the handle at the bottom. That's where we always start. That makes sense. It's like pointing at you. Now you can start, start to sort of spin the cup to start seeing. And a lot of people will get messages from where you would have the handle if you were sipping it like so oh i sometimes turn the cup that way if if i get around to the tables and i'm going in and talking to my guests and they're like i'm not seeing anything i will pick that up from with the handle down first and take a look but then i will also turn it from the way that they sipped it because sometimes that's where a lot of energy gets put for people that, makes that are sense. not necessarily experienced readers. So sometimes there's a lot of energy put there. So I'm like, well, I'm going to turn it this way, and then I'll start, and then I'll start swinging the cup around. And I, I can usually pick up stuff right away because I'm used to it. Yeah. This is the kind of thing you get better at pretty quickly. It's a practice so kind of thing. We've had people come back. You know, we've had guests that come like every year to the to the morning tea, and they get very good, and pretty soon. I haven't even made it over the table yet, and that guest is jumping up and helping three other guests read their cards. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Which is awesome. I love so that. It's just oh, my like God. People, it's very much a cooperative thing. Um, it can be as private as you want. It's your choice. But it, it's also a method of divination that really lends itself to connections yeah. and communicating with others, which is why it's so great to use it as a method to communicate with the dead. And I, I, I love it. I love I it. I communicate with my grandmother so easily because do you know how many times we sat down to a cup of tea together in my lifetime? Aww. Putting on, I have never put on a kettle and not thought of my grandmother. Ever. So it's like I can call her so quickly that way. So it just stands to reason. And she can help other spirits communicate with me. Because once you get a spirit on the other Mm -hmm. side that you easily connect with, that spirit starts to help you communicate with other spirits. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I'm definitely going to try this with my grandmother. I love it. Because she she every once in a while, you know, likes to pop up. But yeah, I'm like, as soon as I read that, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to try this with grandma. So I think that goes into the the last question we got on Facebook was... um, uh, my friend Christian, Kristen wrote in and asked if you have always been sensitive to the paranormal or was it something you studied and got into later in life? I actually do go into this in the book, as you know, yes. that I had my first psychic experience as a child. Mm-hmm. So I had a really strong psychic experience that made me feel like 
either I could see the future or I could communicate with a higher power that would listen to me and make things happen for me or somehow I had the power to change the future because I saw something that was going to happen and I knew, like I just knew something was going to happen. I was more prepared Mm -hmm. for what happened. So I was like, either way, I believed in myself and I believed in something greater than myself. So I started delving into the idea of that whole paranormal psychic Mm -hmm. power and saying, what is this and how do I get better at it and how can I use it? You know, how can I tap into this and be able to use this for myself and the people I love? And that's what really started me on the path. And I was less than eight years old when that happened. So um, I was leaving kindergarten actually, I think it was, Wow. walking down the hill, and I had the flash, I remember the sun coming through the trees, so, like, I can remember it, like, so clearly, it's a vision in my mind, it's, it's sharp, it's, it's as sharp as a memory from two days ago, it's so sharp, and it was, like, a vivid, vivid feeling that I saw what was going to happen, and then it, and it did, so Mm -hmm. it, it just, it, it just hit me, so hard and it made me want to know more and it made me believe that I could do more and that's what set me on the path so no I, yeah I, I relate to that a little bit too to much it, yeah and other people come to it later mm-hmm. or they come to it later and once they do they realize that there were things that happened earlier in their lives that they shrugged off and they said, oh, oh, that's a coincidence. Oh, oh, that doesn't really mean anything. That's just, that's just something weird, you know. And then they look back and go, oh, my God. Like, I had, like, five different things happen that were trying to sort of, like, clue me in. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, I don't want to deal with this. You know, I'm just, like, going to move forward and not think about this. And it's like it'll keep presenting itself in different ways. Yes till you acknowledge it and and the first time I remember the first time I saw what I like came to call like a death prem mm. death premonition when I was in um junior high school when I started having death premonitions um I didn't want to acknowledge that yeah that first one I wrote off that's that wasn't really a death premonition that's that's a coincidence it wasn't a coincidence. It kept happening. So I was like, okay, this is not a mm-hmm. coincidence. But sometimes it will have to happen to you multiple times before yes. you will acknowledge, yes, this is something that I have and I need to understand it better so that I can work with it mm-hmm. and not struggle against it. So a lot of people will not understand, like, ignoring it doesn't actually make it go no, away. No, it makes it worse. So- <laughs> If you actually lean into that and learn about it, then you get a modicum of control over it, Mm -hmm. and then you start to feel safer about it, and you feel better about it instead of feeling worse about it, because if you don't get your own self under control, um, that causes that anxiety and things that I was telling you about a little while ago, it causes that anxiety feeling. Oh, yeah, definitely. You you know, you you can actually... um, heal that and work and work with that energy instead of struggling against it no and i i love that you bring that up coming to it later in life because if people buy the book that's very much leanne's path yes 
Yes, it is, because Leanne love that. was psychically active, but she kind of was like, I'm not, you know, mm-hmm. I, I want a normal life. I want to make my parents happy, and I want to live like a normal person. So she became, you know, the she got married really young and had kids really young and was like, I'm the soccer mom, and I'm, a, I'm just going to be a secretary, and like tried to have like a regular life. Mm-hmm. And all the while... Her abilities were knocking, you know, and so finally, um, you know, when she really unlocked that, you know, and now she's just, she's an incredible, incredible psychic medium. So it's like once you, you know, once you actually lean in and work with it instead of working against it, then it all comes together. Yeah, it doesn't go away. No matter how much you try to ignore it, it does not go away. I did have a question for you. Um, cause you were young and everything. Do you feel like being in Salem and the witch city and all the spirits and the history, do you think that helped kind of unlock everything? I guess unlock might not be the right word, but. Oh yeah. I mean, I had access to people, you know, that were living that life openly yeah. here at a time when people were not doing that anywhere else in the country (laughs) if people were practicing they were practicing quietly they were not donning ritual robes and walking (laughs) down the street in them (laughs) no definitely so yes i absolutely benefited from the bravery of my predecessors like laurie cabot Ah. who was walking down the street in her ritual regalia um you know, I definitely benefited from that. I have, I have witch privilege um, <laughs> growing up in Salem. Absolutely. There were stores here. I could mm-hmm. walk into a witch shop and did at the age of 11 years old, walk into Crowhaven Corner and buy witch supplies. Oh, man. Um, and so, you know, not a lot of people at that time had that experience mm-hmm. because there were maybe, I don't know, you know maybe one shop here and one shop there in certain parts of the country. It was not... It wasn't regular. ...nearly as common as it is today. No. Not nearly. And no. it was very controversial. Yes. And, you know, and it's like now you look you look at what's happened and you're like, okay, there's, there's more acceptance. Is it perfect? No. No. <laughs> not in the least. But there's more acceptance yes. elsewhere. It's you know? much better, even for when I was growing up. You like, I remember when I first started practicing, you could not call yourself a witch because witches are evil. You have to call yourself Wiccan. And I, right. I remember being told that by like the owners of our local metaphysical shop. And uh, if I would ask about spirits, I would be called evil. And it's like, you don't want to do that. That's damnation. And I'm like, what does damnation have to do with... It, it, it was very wow. confusing to me as a child. Yeah. But, but I yeah. think that what people were doing at that time was because Wicca had become a protected religion. Yes. They were trying to show people how they could protect themselves. Yes. So if you were saying that you were Wiccan, all of a sudden you're protected. Your beliefs yes. are protected. It was safer. They know how to make it so that the word witch was somebody that 
you know, could also call themselves Wiccan mm-hmm. if they chose to. So they were trying to tell everybody, just call yourself a Wiccan and you'll yeah. be safe, you know? So, yeah, it was, um, it was a tough, it was a tough time. And, yeah. you know, it's just uh, amazing how, I mean, we have come a, a long way. Yes. We still have a long way to go. Yes. But, you know, let's just acknowledge at least where we've gotten and yeah. continue, you know, um, you know, Leanne and I wrote this book in part to connect with those people who are still a little afraid to come out of the broom closet, yes. you know, and to be able to, to have, give them a way to show people that divination, you know, is not, um, you know, evil, terrible, yeah. you know, things. It's like, no, it's, it's something that is, um, you know, it's, it's a healthy part of using your, your intuition. It's, it's a gift. It's literally a tea, cup of tea. That's right. I love it. I love it. So, uh, let's talk ghost stories. Cause that's kind of the whole point, even though I've been like so excited to talk about the book ever since I finished it. Well, ever since I got it in quarantine and it lived in quarantine, like, Oh, I uh, lost you. Way back in the day, way, 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 way back in the day, okay. um, Christian and I actually had um, our pictures in sepia tone on that website. So that was that was another thing that really freaked me out because I was like, there's actually one picture in the whole world of me in sepia tone, and it's on SalemTarot.com. Like, that was a picture of me like that. And I was like, this is kind of weird. But That is weird. Um, weird connection. Yeah, because I'm like, huh, he's not seeing me in black and white. He's actually seeing me in sepia tone, yeah. which is weird. Um, cause you, you know, if he said, oh, I can't get the color to come in, it's coming in in black and white. That makes a little bit okay, more sense. I yeah. get that, but no, that's not what happened. But, um, but I guess my, one of my strongest things, when you started talking to me about my paranormal, you know, paranormal activity in my life, mm-hmm. the strongest paranormal activity in my life that's active on a daily basis is the fact that the ghost of Sean Poirier absolutely Aww. haunts Hex and Omen. <laughs> Absolutely. I have had so many people who are new to um, working in the shops be like, I was walking by and a tarot deck came flying off at me or like just crazy things happening. And I'm like, that's Sean. Like, that is Sean. Sean is introducing himself to you and he loves to mess with new people. Loves to mess with new people. Loves to freak out the new people. There have been times... We have a special plate that goes on. So we have an altar to Sean in Hex. Okay. At the top of one of the bookcases. Oh. We have a special little plate that goes on top of the candle. Because we have we have a seven-day candle that's dedicated to Sean that has Sean's. We actually sell them in the store. They have Sean's picture on the front. We have a plate that has to be seated on the top of that candle at the end of the day to put the candle out because uh-huh. if you try to put the candle out any other method, it lights itself back up. Oh, wow. So we actually have a separate thing in the shop to sit on top of that candle so it will not wow. relight. <laughs> I mean, it is crazy. It is crazy. But it's just, that's just, wow. you know. That's just how it goes. Now, think about it. That shop has an altar to the dead. Yes. A working altar to the dead. 
It is the and coolest spot. I love it. In the middle of the shop that has been the focus of people's messages to their loved ones on the other side since 2006 or seven. Okay. So all these years that people have been communicating with their dead standing there in that shop, there's definitely a portal right there, Mm -hmm. you know? Now, I went to, we actually moved the altar. Oh. uh, Its location in the shop back to where it originally, originally, originally was when we first, first, first opened. And so we moved it away from the front of the shop and more deep into the shop. Oh, okay. When I was moving it, I wound up, you know, taking very carefully, this took hours, by the way, taking every single statue and every single offering and every single thing off this altar to, to clean it and put back, you know, everything except the messages, which we have a ritual that we do that we send the messages up in a bonfire, but we don't do that in the store, obviously. Yeah. Uh, So as I'm doing this, I found about seven different sets of people's ashes. Oh, we have about seven residents on top of Sean in that shop. Wow. Yeah. So it's like little bottles and some, some I, I know who they are because they left like a little picture with like a little write up uh-huh. and up, not entirely sure waiting for them to introduce themselves. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we have like seven different people. You know what I mean? The ashes of people that people have left over the years that they have left on the altar. Yeah. So we have quite a few residents in the shop. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. People won't even go. Okay. There's a basement under that shop. Now that shop's in a wicked old building. That building is hundreds of years old. There's a basement. You have to pull up the, it's almost like a drawbridge. It's this huge, like, oh, wow. There's a big ring and you pull up the rope to get the door up and the, and the stairs go down. Hardly anybody will go down there. (laughs) Oh, I'm scared to go down there. See, now I want to go. (laughs) So it's crazy. Mostly we just keep like, we just, um, it's storage for like old paperwork and stuff. Oh. It's really, it's, it's not, we don't put any product down there or anything, okay. but like people are like, I don't want to have to go down the basement. <laughs> How funny. <laughs> it's crazy. But like, yeah, I mean, you know, seriously, yeah. even, pra- even like really practice witches are like, I don't want to have to go down that basement. It's, I- it's yeah. Cause it, it's like, it, you get an energy, you know? Oh Yeah. Your- Hundreds of years of God knows what. And it's right near those where the jails were. Yes. It's right near where those tunnels and the jails were. It's literally a block. You are. Yeah, it's right downtown. Yeah. So I'm just like, I don't know. I could go down there and be find a tunnel and be like lost for days. Oh, my God. That sounds terrifying. I mean, there's always something about basements that are just creepy. But that's interesting. But it is it is like, woo. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty wild, but yes, wow. the the there's a strong, strong yes. That is the strongest uh, paranormal, you know, uh, place 
for me mm-hmm. personally. Also, a lot of people have asked me because I live on Gallows Hill. Oh yeah, yeah. Me like, do you deal with the restless dead of the people that were you know wrongly accused and and hanged? And I'm like, you know, I I have not um, had like anything scary happen to me. We have um, done some work as witches to try to heal that situation. Mm-hmm. We one of the things we were doing in that. Um, in the video that I was talking to you about um, with me and Laurie Cabot when I was 19 years old. Um, you know, we were trying to heal the, those spirits, but I have never had anything like negative happen to me on my hill. Uh, I, this is my, this is like, this is so my place. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't ever feel unsafe here, but a lot of people were like, do you ever feel like, you know, you meet up with those spirits? And I'm like, but if I did, I think they would know, you know, that I I would never had I been alive at that time I would have been one of those. I was gonna say you would have been one of the ones in jail. Yeah, <laughs> I would have been hanging from a tree. You yeah. Know? Um. So I I'm not I'm definitely not um an oppressor. You know. Yeah. And so I think I don't have that kind of an energy. So I I think that they know. But I absolutely have heard uh, the howling. Like when you and it's so funny the because howling. I've had somebody come to my house and on the second floor when you stand in the bathroom you hear this you can hear it in the trees and it's just you know the energy here is really strong and so for people that are sensitive to it the energy is very strong but I live in it and I grew up in it yeah so I don't feel overwhelmed by it I've just been soaking in it this whole time so it's like I I don't it's not like I come to my house and I go, oh, my God, I'm overwhelmed because I'm I like I'm just I'm accustomed to it. I grew up in it. Yeah. You know? But other people have come here and been like, whoa. And I'm just like, yeah. But yeah. What is this <laughs> howling? What 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 is the howling? I, I just I think it's the you know, there's this whole um, idea of uh, it's been called everything from, you know, the wild hunt. It's been called a number of different uh... things. And different gods or goddesses are associated with it. And Hecate is one of them, that she has a horde that follows behind her, you know, and this, and that she uh, feeds the souls, you know, of the restless dead that she, you know, that she flies. And that's where the, I, the sort of idea of the witch's Sabbath, where they were all flying mm-hmm, through the mm-hmm. air, like where that came from. So I'm, when I listen to it, I get sort of, you know, excited by that concept, but I can understand how other people would be pretty frightened by that concept. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, if that's, if that's one of those that's a frequent occurrence, I'm definitely coming to visit. Because I'm like, (laughs) that's amazing. Oh my God. (laughs) Well, when, when the wind is, is whipping up here, it's, um, you know, you can hear a lot. That wind really talks. Oh, I Wind Mariah, right? Ah, circling around. I love it. Um, I because I we were there years ago, me and a couple of girlfriends, and we ended up because I want because they had just I don't last couple years before that they had found where they thought the actual gallows was. It was like when they first first uncovered it, and me being me, I'm like. We have to try to go find this. And, you know, it's like somebody's backyard, so you can't really do a whole lot with it. But, so being up there. Yeah. 
It's, that's in that's in my neighborhood. They yeah. made a little monument oh. at the actual location, but then they realized that neighborhood was like becoming completely overwhelmed. Oh. So they basically told they told like the tour guides and everything, do not take people up through that neighborhood. Like it's just too much. I could say so that. that people that go there. If people choose to, like, hunt that down and find it, that's one thing. But they didn't want, like, buses and everything no. just parading through this residential neighborhood, you know? And, I mean, it's it's gorgeous up there. It, but the streets, you know, they're Massachusetts little streets. They're Yeah, they're old cow paths. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're barely, uh, you know, some of them are just barely wide enough for a car to get down. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm like, buses? Yeah. That's terrifying. I'm like, I'm trying to imagine a bus up there. Yeah, no. No. And now the thing that really got me being up there was how oddly peaceful it was. Right? And like, I expected, you know, some kind of like traumatic energy or something, but there wasn't. It was very calm. And like, it was one of those, it made you calm kind of things i appreciate that because i know that we've done a lot of work actively you know to sort of soothe that energy and you know and there's been quite a bit done and honestly they they were just planning um this may was supposed to be the first annual um gathering for all of the descendants of the trials there was a whole weekend planned of all the descendants of the trials and it just fell apart because of the virus. Yeah. So the virus. I think, it's been, I think it's like put off to next year and we're going to try to hold it next year. Oh, that yeah, gave me goosebumps. I'm like, wow. All about, you know, the genealogy of mm-hmm. the trials and the people that are, that are related. Um, it was in the beginning of May. It was supposed to be like the first weekend yeah. of May was going to be, um, you know, when everybody was going to be here and there were going to be, there was going to be stuff to do and, you know, oh. it just stuff, you know, related yeah. to, to that. And it just all had to be tabled for now. So, oh, that breaks my heart. I'm like, that just sounds so cool. Like, I didn't know there was, um, uh, Rebecca Nurse's homestead is yeah. basically a living history kind of ranch. And I grew up. <laughs> can go visit yep yeah like right in danvers which is formerly salem village so mm -hmm. they we we split it up and danvers became danvers and salem became salem but um yes salem used to encompass danvers and that's where the homestead still stands and you can visit it I, i i will be going at one point and i think that was one thing that really got me with salem is just how embedded the history is everywhere. Like I remember going to Bearing Point and it's right there next to the, the art museum and like down yep. the street. It's literally in the middle of town. Yep. Like that was the thing that got me with the witch house too was you look at all these pictures and they're like angled just right that you can't tell there's a neighbor on one side and a neighbor on the other side. We thought it was like this cute country area. Nope. And someone warned us before we got down there that no, it's literally right downtown. Back in the middle of downtown. Yes. And it's a little it's a little bubble of untouched, you know, 
and everything has risen up around it. You know what yes. I mean? Like, so just like this little, yeah. Yeah, that, that was just one of the coolest, coolest things. I mean, I'm glad somebody warned me ahead of time because I was picturing like hocus pocus kind of out in the middle of nowhere cornfield kind of thing. And, no, and not I'm at all. telling you that even the hocus pocus house is right in the middle of a neighborhood. Yes. It's right in the middle of a neighborhood. It's right in the middle of a residential neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. The one that killed me, we did a ghost tour and uh, we were sitting on the old city hall steps and it didn't click that. They use that in the movie until the tour guide said it, and I was like, what? Yep. Yep. So, I love it. Well, thank you. Thank you thank so you much. Thank you so much, my fun. dear. Yes. It's a lot of fun, and um, I can't wait for you and I to be in the same place yes. at the same time. I miss you. Make <laughs> sure you give your hub some love for me, because yeah. I adore Absolutely. him, too. And Absolutely. thank you so much, love. I can't believe how long we went, but I'm not surprised because us talking happens. <laughs> not surprised. Oh, I just yeah. want to say, if anybody um, likes my necklace or my earrings, because people ask all the time, this is my good friend Bianca Havens, and oh. she um, runs uh, her own jewelry place called uh, Pale Tree Arcana. And so, if you go to paletreearcana.com, you can um, you can find something similar. She never makes the same exact thing twice. Everything is oh, always one that. of a kind. But um, but if you're interested, it's Pale Tree Arcana. Her name is Bianca Havens. And I'll make sure to get all the links to everything, yeah, where to buy yeah, the book, uh, Gallows yeah. Hill. I'll get everything, yeah, and I'll post want, everything. Want any beautiful rings like the one she's got on her finger or other sterling silver jewelry or stones, um, yes. then you can friend me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Salem Witch, and that will be me. And then you'll be on Gallows Hill Witchery, and you can uh, check in on the lives and, and have get all kinds of goodies. I will say, I think you're the only one I buy my own personal crystals from now. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. I, I prefer I, buying I from people pick I know. Everything, and I wouldn't, I don't pick anything I don't love, right? Yeah. Some of your pictures of just you, like, one of the reasons why they, people should just follow you is when you get a box of crystals to sell, you right? opening the boxes, and it's like every piece, you're like, brand new child it's like you get so excited well i i absolutely love what i do i love yes. everything i do. i love my music oh um, yeah I, we haven't I, even talked about that oh I my god i front a band um i actually front two bands um right now the, the big project that we're doing is the um fleetwood mac stevie nicks um cover band yes. uh bands tribute bands go your own way and then uh, my also my my cover band would be Eleventh Hour. So um, I love my music. I love working with crystals and stones. I love running Hex and Omen. I love teaching people the craft. I love all the stuff that I do with stones and crystals and jewelry because I'm a huge, you know, that like crystals was the first crystals and stones was the first uh, like tangible magic that I was doing um, when I first started, and it's followed me my whole entire you know magical lifetime Aww. it's me since the beginning so yes i love everything i do i love it because you're you are literally like witch boss goals and i love it 
Thank you. So thank you so much again for finding the time. I can't believe we lasted so long. But thank you so much, love. I appreciate it. Thank you. Blessings from Salem. Yes. I will visit you soon, I promise. I'm going to hold you to that. Yes, please. Okay, bye, love. Bye. A huge thank you to Sandra for being on the podcast today and sharing all of her knowledge. You can find her book, Reading the Leaves, an intuitive guide to the ancient art and modern magic of tea leaf divination at hex, H-E-X, which, all one word, dot com. And basically anywhere else you can buy books. Thank you so much again for listening to another episode of My Haunted Life podcast. You are one beautifully spooky babe. I appreciate you so much. If you like the show, please rate and review me on your favorite podcast apps. It goes a long way to helping other people find me. I also have a Facebook group that I'm on pretty regularly. Also, I have a Patreon if you really want to support the show and help me decide on future episodes. You can also watch Sandra walk me through how to read tea leaves, so it's definitely worth it. Also, if you happen to find yourself in the Witch City this weekend, Sandra and Leanne are finally getting to celebrate the launch of their book at the Hawthorne Hotel. Last I knew. She mentioned they are allowed very limited numbers, but check it out if you can. If not, drop her a nice little congratulatory note, and thank you all again.